It was age 19, whilst interning at her father's lingerie business and Summers, which then comprised of four stores aimed at men, that Jacqueline Gold spotted a gap in the market for Tupperware-style parties for women selling sex toys and lingerie. Despite the idea being initially dismissed by the company's all-male board, she persevered with her vision to modernise Anne Summers and ultimately went on to create a British retail success story, making herself one of the UK's most successful businesswomen to date. Today, Anne Summers has an annual turnover of £140 million, 125 stores and over 4,000 parties held each week. I am very excited to get to know the woman who brought sex to the British high street. Welcome to the Sherlock Success Stories. In each fortnightly episode, we delve into the stories behind some of the most successful entrepreneurs and careers we've seen. A very warm welcome, Jacqueline Gold, to your Sherlock's success story. Let's start with the Anne Summers that your father created, because from what I've read back then, it was a very different Anne Summers to the Anne Summers we know today. Tell us more about what you joined. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here. Um, yes, it was very different to the Ann Summers as we know it today. So it, there was 10% of customers were women, whereas today we have 80%. So you can see that there's a massive shift in customer profile. You know, we've almost gone from the raincoat brigade of the 80s to really what has become a female institution and something that I'm really, really proud of. And the business that he started, so it was four stores. And so they were selling to men. And what were they selling to men? Well, it was they were essentially sex shops. You know, that's what they were. And they were very male-orientated, very clinical in the environment. Um, they were the acceptable face of the sex industry, in quotes. The lingerie, I mean, you couldn't actually buy sexy lingerie in the high street, by the way, then. So the sexy lingerie that was available was obviously designed or, or chosen very much by men because they were supplying men. You know, sort of red baby dolls with harsh black lace edging, if you can imagine that type of yes. uh, <laughs> that type of product. And obviously videos and magazines and sex toys that men were buying for themselves or for their partners, but it was a man buying them. I remember feeling uncomfortable going in the stores and thinking god it would be great if there was something that we could do for women that you know women could take control of their own sex lives and, and what an amazing vision to have at age 19 yeah but then I, I wasn't actually I was doing work experience at Anne Summers I, I had no intention of staying it was this very male dominated environment and then about 18 months later I was invited to it was actually a Pippa D party which was a bit like the whole Tupperware concept but it was sort of for women's clothes and I was invited to this party and I went along and funny enough it was in a council flat in Thamesmead South East London and and I sort of remember sitting on this sofa, squished together with all these other women at one point, drawing a picture of my husband's meat and two veg on a piece of paper on top of my head and thinking, mm, this isn't quite how I imagine my career starting. <laughs> but uh, the women at the party, they knew that I was doing work experience at Ann Summers. And they said to me, look, we want to be able to buy sexy underwear. We want to be able to buy sex toys. We want to spice up our marriages, but we don't want to go into a sex shop. And I just, this was my real light bulb moment. The penny um, dropped. Huh? Totally. I, I mean, I was 21 years old. I sort of went off and got some product, did a few parties myself just to make sure, you know, that did I you? thought... Did you? So you hosted some parties? Yes, I did. Selling. I mean, I've actually never been to a Tupperware style party. So you did some parties and what, you introduced the product, you sell the product, you pitch the product. Georgie, not only do I think you should go to an Anne Summers party, <laughs> but I think you should host one here. God, I really, I really dropped myself in it, haven't no, I? ASOS have already asked us if they can do a party at their offices. The girls here would love it. You could even do it on air. Let's how, do how it. Amazing Let's that do be? it. Let's do a live Sherlock's and Summers party. I'm all over that. I'll put you off now. <laughs> so you hosted this party yourself, and was it awkward? I mean, I remember doing it in Biggin Hill, which was where I lived, 
And I knew the hostess, but I didn't know the other women at the party. And there I was doing something really revolutionary and I was going to come out with some sex toys. I mean, these women wouldn't have even seen sexy lingerie, let alone, no. to- let alone toys. And it was really interesting because I remember passing them around and you can imagine I've switched them on by now. And the women were very curious, very nervous, but excited at the same time. And I remember, and if I can sort of try and convey this in a podcast, them sort of passing them around like, you know, they've got this sort of live hot potato, potato <laughs> in their hand, sort of passing it on to the next person course there was lots of giggles and interest and and it's just to give you some sort of contrast here because you know they were nervous they were curious they were excited they were scared to hold it for you know more than two seconds whereas today you know you see customers at a party today or in our stores and they you know they turn them on they want they know what they're called they want to know what sizes they come in what features they have we're so much more product aware attitudes have completely changed and 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 I love the fact that you know we have driven that change. Sex toys did exist then in 1981 they did there was a market they did exist but they were very different so let's talk about a vibrator then the vibrators were almost column shaped they were cream they were hard plastic they probably had ridges in them I remember them being called things like the hummingbird or the stallion <laughs> the stallion the was stallion a, that, was a that, popular sounds, one. that was definitely created by a man yeah obviously <laughs> whereas today you know actually what we make them from is so important they're made from silicone they're very comfortable you know the latest range that we've come out elation it remembers a woman's favorite speed it remembers her shape a lot of effort goes into the technology around the designs that we make whereas they were very functional and clearly a lot of effort didn't go into into design the parties went well these initial parties and you you sold some stallions some hummingbirds and decided I've got something here I mean it took off you just would not believe I mean it was a huge success I mean I was advertising in the London Evening Standard every week I was driving up to the Strand Palace Hotel in my mustard coloured mini talking to sort of a seminar if you like of women telling them about the idea and I remember women were coming from all walks of life they were bored housewives they wanted to do something they wanted to earn money they wanted to spice up their love lives but they wanted to have fun doing it you know they wanted to have fun while they were earning money and I would actually physically go out and train these women at myself at the beginning and we recruited about 500 party ambassadors within less than a year it grew really fast and then we carried on growing at a rate of 20% a year so at the beginning we actually decided to stop advertising because from a business point of view we had teething problems and we weren't keeping up with the pace of growth so it was a great position to be in amazing and so you you went back so you had this idea you went back to what was then this all-male board and you said I've got this idea and I want to do these sex parties and they kind of laughed you out of town or tried to I read yeah that was one of the biggest challenges I had right early on in my career because obviously being a company that was selling to men essentially the board were all men and I remember at 21 years old walking down the corridor on the way to the boardroom terrified and walking into this room and you know they're all sitting there in their gray suits looking very serious and then of course it sort of was my turn to stand up and talk about my idea I remember one board member actually standing up throwing his pen on the table and going well this isn't going to work is it women aren't even interested in sex (laughs) and I remember thinking oh my god this obviously says so much more about your sex life than it does about my idea so I had to bite my lip and the whole point was I needed investment and I I think I asked for about 40,000 pounds which wasn't enough by the way but at the time I thought it was enough to get things going and luckily they did eventually agree to sort of test it out and lend me the money. You must have been a pretty ballsy 21-year-old to stand up in front of a room of stiff grey men in suits and put that idea in front of them. It's, you know, that's pretty impressive yeah, when you think about it. It's weird because at the time I didn't feel like a ballsy 21-year-old. I just was terrified. But yes, when you look back, you know, I felt really passionate about the idea. I knew this was going to be successful. I was the one that had seen the feedback at the first party I went to. And I guess there was also something in me that thought, why should this just be for men? There is a whole market of women out there that want to take control of their personal lives. And to me, this is a 
great opportunity to do it. And I said in the introduction that you are the woman who brought sex to the British high street. I mean, you really are. And it would be fascinating to see where we were today if Anne Summers hadn't been the Anne Summers that you made it. I mean, you must be hugely proud of that. And from what I've read, it seems like it's sort of been quite a smooth journey, I'm sure. (laughs) You're laughing. Did you face a lot of resistance, though, at the time? Oh, my God, smooth it hasn't been. It's been the most colourful journey ever. I mean, look, I've been arrested twice. Have you? Yeah, absolutely. For Um, what? So this was, I was probably 25 years old. I had a stand at the Women's World Exhibition and it was early on in, in the business. We were fledgling business at that point. I took up a stand. There was other stands, makeup and wedding dresses and all sorts of things. And I was there on my own. I displayed the stand and I'd got some toys discreetly displayed at the back of the stand. Yeah, one day, I think I was there for probably, it was like a long weekend. And, and one of the days the police came and arrested me. The weird thing is, I could see they were awkward. You've never been able to categorize me or my business. We're unique, you know, we're one of a kind. And they were basically saying to me, I'm saying, well, why are you arresting me? He said, because you're running a sex shop without a license. And I said, well, how can I be? I'm not selling anything. I'm just displaying product. And, and my product is tastefully displayed. And it was like, well, you know, unless you want to be charged, uh, you better pack up. We'll give you a caution and you, be, you pack up and go. Of course, again, I was like, oh, my God, what have I done? You know, <laughs> sort of went back to my stand and they obviously went off. And I thought, this is so unfair. I just thought, no, I'm not going to pack up. I'm staying. And you stayed? And I stayed and they didn't come back. (laughs) And I wasn't charged. That was the first time? What was the second time? Oh, that was the first, that was the main one. The second time was a similar situation. I was arrested, actually it was for the Brighton store, again, for running a sex shop without license. There is a big difference between Ann Summers and a sex shop. And I think that it was just a confusion over where that line is. And, and of course, this again was years ago. I've always stood up for what I believe in. I wouldn't allow myself to be bullied by authorities. But times have changed. And as you say, it was a different world then, wasn't it? Did you face a lot of resistance against, you know, this business that you, you were trying to build? Absolutely. I mean, I remember, I think it was also because I'd made this great decision that it was going to be for women only. And that was brilliant. And it, it, that's what's made the company it is today. However... When you sort of say to men, well, actually, no, you can't be part of this, you know, people's imaginations run wild with them. (laughs) I remember getting in a taxi and being dropped off at my office and the taxi driver saying to me, oh, you're not going in there, are you? (laughs) I was saying, well, yes, I am. (laughs) Oh, you know what goes on in there? (laughs) I said, no, tell me. (laughs) (laughs) No idea who he was talking to. No, of course not. But I think that was the thing. People just... You, you, know. may, you might never come out again. <laughs> <laughs> so there was those sort of amusing anecdotes. And then, of course, I've got other situations where I went to open a store in Dublin in 1999 and I received a bullet through the post. Did you? Who was it wrong? If I try and shortcut this story for you, I was trying to open a store in Dublin because our parties were doing so well there. They were outperforming the parties in the UK. So mm. I knew that... I had to open a store. I pursued this store in O'Connell Street. I then got a letter from the Dublin Corporation, which is the equivalent of our council, saying, do not open there. We're going to move you somewhere else, basically into a back street. So I contacted the council. I said, look, come down, meet with me, see my stores, meet my staff. So they came over to visit, showed them around our stores. And in the afternoon, they had a meeting with me in the boardroom. Kieran and Alan, I remember them distinctly. Kieran couldn't even look at me. He just sort of looked across the table as if I was going to turn him to stone. Alan, on the other hand, just wanted to tell me about his sex life and how much he loves sex. I'm like, I'm really not interested in your sex life. <laughs> that must happen a lot. Oh, uh, well, it, it did in the early days, yeah. <laughs> Basically, I said, look, at the end of the meeting, I know you're not going to change your mind. You've got your own agenda. And their parting words to me were, if you go ahead and open this store, 
we cannot be held responsible for what might happen to you. It was quite wow. unsettling and true wow, to the, and that was Dublin. Yeah, and of course it had nothing to do with them, by the way, but a week before I was due to open the store, I received a bullet through the post. You would forgive me for perhaps thinking I'm not going to go ahead with this, but I thought, no, I'm going ahead with this. <laughs> I absolutely believe it's the right thing to do. And I went over to Dublin. I was invited onto the Late Late Show. I'd never done any media in my life. I was absolutely terrified at the thought of going on. I remember uh, Michael Crawford was on before me and the audience laughing. I'm thinking, oh my God, how am I going to follow this? And when I went out onto stage, I had like a live audience. And can you believe who was sitting at the front of the audience, the front of the stage? Those two chaps. Those two chaps. Alan, <laughs> and I thought, oh my God, I've been set up. Anyway, Kieran got up. He was beating his chest like politicians stroke counsellors do. And I'm like, oh no, you know, he's saying this should outrageous and someone should come here. So then it was my turn and I sort of said, look, I pretty much said what I told you. I know this is going to be a success. I knew that parties were successful in Ireland and that I think that a store would be fantastic. We don't want to position it in the back street. Anyway, eventually I'd finished my story and I remember this woman standing up at the back of the room and pointing down at Alan and Kieran saying, don't you tell us where we can and can't shop. (laughs) And it was brilliant. And actually... Despite being served a writ on the first day of opening, not only was Dublin in our top three performing stores, but it's also on the tourist bus route. That's one that I will always remember (laughs) and we're very proud of. So understandably, you had a bit of a battle on your hand against various male figures. What about women? Were women just behind you from day one? Because, you know, British women, you know, are notoriously not very good at talking about things like sex. And back then, I imagine, even more so. How did women respond to you? Were they? I can't imagine they were all like that woman that stood up at the back and said, we'll shop where we want to shop. Or were they? You know, obviously, it, it took time for people to understand, you know, where I was going with this business because I inherited, you know, one sort of set of values and suddenly I wanted to change it in a different direction. But women loved it. I mean, they were coming to the parties. Like I said, we were growing at 20% a year. They loved the fact that there were no men at the parties. I think that they made it their own environment. You know, we created this real experience. It wasn't just about going to shop and buy. It was about talking to their friends about their sex lives, the problems they were having and Actually, we gave them an environment and a, almost permission to sit down and just talk. And, and I was going to say, it's up. almost therapy. Yeah, it was in a way. And then they started trying on the lingerie and, you know, they were giggling at the products. And then, of course, what happened was that we used the, or not used it, the parties just organically became an induction into the brand. So then people would go to the parties first before they would then go into the stores. So it was sort of like that stepping stone. You know, I think we've driven this amazing culture change in society as we know it. And do you yourself see a real difference in the women that were your customers when you joined Dan Summers and the women now? It's completely different. And of course, the younger generation of today just wouldn't be able to comprehend how different that is and the sort of journey that we've been on. But we're here and we're unique. And is there still a real demand for the sex parties? When I can see back when you started, you know, it was new and innovative and it was, as you say, it was therapy and it was enjoyment and it was something that people kind of hadn't really been aware of before that this all existed. But is there still such a demand for it now? I think it's true that everybody has to be on their game um, in this environment. We need to be multi-channel. You know, we've got four routes to market. The parties are still really popular. You know, we're in double digit growth at the moment, which is brilliant. Innovation, however, is the key word. So whether it's the experience, whether it's the sex toys, you know, making sure that they're on the cutting edge of technology, you know, nobody can sit back on their laurels no matter what type of business that you run. Our lingerie is on the cutting edge of fashion, you know, we're influenced by the catwalk and we turn things around at a very fast pace, very often landing amazing want-to-be-seen lingerie faster than even Zara can. So, you know, we understand the importance of innovation. Let's talk a bit about the toys because I'm sure people are as intrigued as I am to know what the best sellers are. 
Well, the best-selling toys are always going to be the rampant rabbit. Um, and our, we pretty much have a rabbit family. There isn't a rabbit we don't have, whether that's <laughs> sort of uh, waterproof, ones that can be used in the bath, to ones that, you know, morgasm, ones that are made of magnets, a recent range, which is the, the very feminine organic type range, which is called Elation, which is fantastic. So we're always working on the next one. I just say we need to get one that can put the bins out. That's what we really <laughs> need. Then uh, we'd all be really happy. <laughs> we would be. And I was asking my team what they would be interested to know about Anne Summer. And they were asking about market research and who does your market research and how do you know what the next thing is? Who's coming out? Who's doing your product innovation? So in terms of product, we do all of the market research in-house. We own that ourselves. And that's quite unique, actually, because even with laundry, most businesses leave it to their suppliers, whereas we're very, very hands-on with both the technology for the toys. Uh, and, you know, we just have a development team working on that all the time. And the same with the laundry. You know, we're going to all the necessary fairs and everything. The detail is so, so, so important. So everything we do is created in-house. That for us is the best way to make sure that we're always on the edge of innovation. And let's talk about Fifty Shades of Grey for a minute. Did that have a massive impact on Anne Summers? So Fifty Shades of Grey was a very interesting opportunity for us because people started talking about it on social media. You started to hear about people reading it on their Kindles when they were on the sunbed or on the train. And of course, it just became amplified online. And then the media were talking about it. And every time the media were talking about it, Anne Summers was mentioned. But the reason for that is because we got involved in that conversation online. We've never been a brand that just wants to sell our product online. We just like to get involved in what our customers are talking about. And actually having something to add to that conversation rather than talking at them. I mean, look at it. It's outsold Harry Potter. It's incredible. You know, it's a it? worldwide phenomenon. Yeah, incredible. How much has the digital landscape changed your business? Because I imagine that the little women that do just want to buy sex toys online, you launched your e-commerce site in 1999, I read. Did you notice a massive change? Um, yes, it was very successful. And, and, you know, we were multi-channel well be- before our time because we obviously had the party plan. And now, of course, we have partnerships with ASOS and Shop Direct and House of Fraser. So digital is, is very important because it's being driven by the younger generation you've got to keep up with that so that whole digital landscape has escalated at a very fast pace but so has social you know the whole social media opportunity 15 years ago who'd have thought we'd be able to talk to our customers 24 7 Mm. 365 days a year and our colleagues for me as as a business leader I love having that opportunity just think it's an extension of customer care isn't it it's that extended engagement and I'm actually surprised there aren't more business leaders that do that and I I think it's something women are quite good at by the way and that instant dialogue you can have that instant feedback you know you you don't need to just go with gut instinct you can kind of prove a case so instantly can't you with social media and the high street I mean the high street is notoriously difficult How, how do you innovate on the high street how do you stay exciting for your customers that are coming in through the door I mean, the high street is a massive challenge for everybody, for all retailers. We were very fortunate that last year we bucked the trend and, you know, we had very good figures. You know, we trebled our profits last year, which was amazing for us. And I think we do that by, again, innovation isn't just about the product. It's also about the experience. You know, you've got to be relevant. You've got to give your customers a reason to come into your store rather than somewhere else. And you've got to create a fantastic environment with great customer service. Your salespeople need to have really good product knowledge and make customers feel comfortable when they come into the stores. So we do all of that. You know, we're relevant. We're bucking the trend in a very difficult time. It seems like Anne Summers is such an incredible success story. You've talked to us about Ireland. Tell us some of the other challenges that you faced along the way. 
Probably the most memorable one, this is back in 2004, when the government told us that we couldn't advertise any longer in job centres. This was very difficult for us because that meant we weren't operating on a fair level playing field with our high street competitors. The high street will turn to job centres to recruit retail staff. I tried to do what I did actually with Dublin Corporation by inviting them down and wanted to show them that many of the staff we had had gone on to be supervisors, but they didn't respond and wouldn't come down. So they actually backed me into a corner and gave me no choice but actually to take them to court. So that's what I did. I took them to court. I took them to the high court. It was a two-day trial. It was fantastic because we won the case because our argument was it should be down to the individual where they can and can't work, not up to some government body telling them wh- where they can uh, work in and some sort of time. It's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely crazy. And I presume you won that battle. Well, the interesting thing is it was the lead story on News at 10. And because of all the publicity we got, we didn't actually need to advertise in job centres for some time <laughs> after, which was the irony. Well, they got what was coming to them They then. did, yeah. <laughs> So what's next for Anne Summers? How do you keep moving with the times? So the next for us is really about partnerships. We already have partnerships with ASOS, Shop Direct. We have a whole list of, of different partnerships. We, we also stock Lipsy, which is another fabulous brand. I'm always looking to increase our partnerships, but particularly international. So, you know, we're now with Zolando, Nordstrom. We started off just online. It's selling socks off, so they want us to go into their stores. So I think that's a great opportunity for us right now. I mean, you have been named... Everything from most powerful woman in retail to the most inspirational businesswoman in the UK. And you have many, many other accolades. What are the ones that you're most proud of? I'm the most proud of receiving my CBE by the Queen, which I received in 2016. And that was for social enterprise, entrepreneurship and women in business, something I'm really passionate about. And just to be recognised for things that you do work hard and you do feel passionate about was just an amazing moment for me. And do you you stop and say, wow, I've achieved all this? Or are you just always looking to the future? I think with so many entrepreneurs, you're constantly striving to do more and more and more. I think because of the colourful journey I've been on, I stop and and feel blessed for the things that I have received because it has been such a challenge to change people's attitudes and help people that perhaps were a bit cynical understand where we're going. But at the same time, particularly the female empowerment part, you know, I've really enjoyed doing that. I mean, I've empowered women in the bedroom. There's no doubt about that. You know, my own boardroom, I like to say I've empowered women in the boardroom because, you know, we have some amazingly talented women in that boardroom. And obviously, one of my objectives is always to empower women generally, you know, in business and entrepreneurship. I mean, even my own daughter, who's now eight years old, when she was five years old, I took her to one of my speaking events. She was the youngest person in the room. But I wanted her to see mummy up on stage talking to all these business people and think, you know what, this isn't just men that do speeches, women do too. And of course, I took her with me when I went to receive my my CBE because we want to inspire our children, don't we? I actually took my daughter. I was interviewed uh, yesterday at an event and I took my seven-year-old with me and we held an event. We had the founder of Kiki K with her whole family and I was really inspired by the fact that, and she said, I take my children everywhere when I can for them to see me and why I work so hard. So I took mine yesterday. She's more interested in her Kindle than she was in listening to me being interviewed. But I, it was a first step. And yeah, I'm so with you. I think it's so important that as women, we are a role model to the next generation because they're going to have to work pretty hard, I think, aren't they? Yeah. You seem so nice and approachable and warm and down to earth. Is there another side to you? We talked about that ballsy 21-year-old and you've created such an incredible business yeah, is there, an, is there another side of you? What are the qualities that you need to be a really effective leader, would you well, say? Well, first of all, just on that point about is there another side to you, you know, I think it's so important to be yourself in business. You know, I'm not a Jekyll and Hyde. I think there's sometimes this perception that if you're successful and you're a woman, then you have to be, you know, this hard-nosed B-I-T-C-H, which is just not the case. And I think, unfortunately, programmes like The Apprentice or Dragon's Gen, whilst they're great viewing, they almost give women the impression that they have to be ball breakers to be successful and it's absolute rubbish. You know, and I think that people that see you and think, oh, you know, she's 
actually so sweet. Don't underestimate that person. Just because a woman might be softly spoken or feminine does not mean that they're not strong and that they can't make tough decisions. I will always make the right decisions for our business. And sometimes, unfortunately, they're not popular. I think communication is really important. I'm really engaging. I've got an open door policy. I bring my teams on the journey with me. You know, I think that's the best way to approach it. But I think, unfortunately, it's still tough for women. There are still women that have challenges because of preconceived ideas. You know, the great thing about International Women's Day coming up soon is that is the opportunity to break down some of those preconceived ideas. And you're quite involved with International Women's Day. Talk to us about how so... I'm really excited about International Women's Day. I think it's a great event in the country. It comes bigger and bigger every year, doesn't it? It does, and so it should, you know. And it's great that the media are really taking on. Lots of people are talking about it. I've done lots of interviews this week about it. And we're all doing our different events. We've got a great event going on on Friday. I've got a panel of four awesome women that I've invited to my head office so that my own colleagues, of which 90%, by the way, are women. I was going to ask you that. (laughs) Glad to hear it. Yeah, are going to be able to listen to some fantastic success stories, challenges, ask their own questions. So on the panel, I have Cherry. Healy, who I know is going to be awesome. She's the presenter. I've got Vanessa Vanelli, who is an author and founded We Are the City, who I think oh, is going yes. to be able to give some really good advice. Dr. Liz Jackson, MBE, has a very unique story to tell. And we also have Lottie Luscombe from Cosmopolitan magazine. Oh, amazing. So it's a really, really good lineup. So we're going to obviously be tweeting about it on social media. We're going to do a video um, beforehand of me, which will go out on Instagram. And also we're going to be filming it so that we can upload it to the website on a similar note you also have your working women initiative wow tell us about that where people can follow find out more and get involved so i've always wanted to inspire women to be the best they can be and i just think women so often sort of play down their achievements and we really need to own our success we owe it to ourselves and obviously to inspire other women and i found that i was getting asked lots of questions on social media and on twitter which you know in in the early stages and i thought is there something i can do to really support women much more than, uh, than I'm doing at the moment. And I came up with this idea of WOW, which stands for Women on Wednesday. And basically every Wednesday, women tweet me about their business in just 146 characters. And they'll sort of send me a link to their business. And I will choose my top three. And then I will profile and retweet the ones that I think are the best for that week. And it just went absolutely mental. It was fantastic because we now have a Facebook website. We've got a whole community of WOW winners. They trade with each other. I take them for a mentoring lunch at the Ivy every year for the top three overall. I also have them at my own head office for a mentoring day where they can meet with our experts. And for the first time, a couple of months ago, we sort of had a WOW market day where they came and set up their stands in our head office. And staff were able to come and buy presents for Christmas. So it was a huge success. So I I think it's something that will just continue and grow. Grow, grow. Sounds sounds amazing. And I, I know you really believe in the power of mentoring. What advice would you give to women looking for a mentor? You know, when I started out in business, there were so few women in business. And I think it's so important to have a mentor. But I think that usually comes about from networking. And I think it's just something women don't like doing. I think it's because we're so focused on getting on with the job. We don't always think about the value. And if there was one regret I have, it it would be to network my socks off. So I think the first thing is making sure that you do that. I think you should join up with there's so many support groups now for women in business. Take advantage of all of those. And obviously social media gives you the opportunity to engage with women like myself. You know, I would any woman tweeting me today and and asking me a question, I'd be straight there and, and giving her advice back. So I think there's so many more opportunities and so many more women wanting to support other women Mm. and what advice would you give to women wanting to start a business that are listening today get on and do it 
Well, I think you need to, first of all, find an opportunity. You know, it's an opportunity that's not already, where is that gap in the market? That's what I did. I think, secondly, is making sure that what you're doing, you're not a me too. You know, that you are doing something that others aren't doing, whether that be your product, whether that be the service that you offer, the environment that you create. Make sure that you stand out from the crowd. The other piece of advice is that women often doubt themselves. And I think that we, we sort of want validation from everybody before we'll actually go out and do it. And that's probably because we've been brought up not to take risks. You know, women are brought up to be perfect. Men are brought up to be brave. And we need to switch that. Yeah. The women of today, we can inspire those women of the future, that, you know, our daughters that need that inspiration from us. And if you feel that you're somebody that might have doubts, one of the things I did early on in my career is I wrote myself a letter. Well, today you'd write yourself an email. <laughs> so write yourself an email of all of the amazing things that you've achieved. And every time you have that doubt, that wobble, whether it be going off to that networking event, going into a big meeting, going off to do a deal, read it back to yourself and just remind yourself of how awesome you really are. That's almost the perfect note to finish on. (laughs) But I thought I'd finish on asking you who Anne Summers was. Well, Anne Summers was originally called Anise Goodwin. And the company was set up by a man called Kim Waterfield. He was a real man about town character. They used to call him Dandy Kim. He was engaged to Diana Dawes. And he also dated Princess Margaret. He was a real man about town character. And <laughs> he actually, he was a handsome man, but, a, but also a rogue. He was a lovable rogue. You know, he, I remember he went to prison. He was buried his helicopter in a, a haystack. I mean, he was just crazy. We were supplying him with product at the time. And his company went into liquidation. And the reason it did was because the truth was he was flying his helicopter into High Park, landing, rushing in, grabbing the day's takings and then flying off to the races. So that was, you know, he was living the life of Riley. When he set up the company, he recruited this lady called Anise Goodwin and she changed her name to Anne Summers because the company then had a figurehead. And the reason he chose that name, because at the time in the 70s when it all started, is that he felt it depicted the image of an English rose. So that's how it all came Mm. about. And then when he went into financial difficulties, we bought the company for £10,000. So that was two shops and the name, probably the best deal we've ever done. And the rest is history. Well, Jacqueline, it's been a real privilege uh, to have you with us today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. That's it for this week. If you enjoyed that, then do please rate, review and subscribe on iTunes. See you next time. Bye-bye.